from the author of the book by the same name. It's the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast with Mark McCray. Welcome to episode 12, everyone. Continuity, contradiction, and canon in cartoons, part two. Mark, one of the reasons I can't wait for this to be over is because I don't want to have to say continuity, contradiction, and canon in cartoons. That is a mouthful. Oh, yeah. That's a huge mouthful. It's a lot of uh, C's. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> I guess if this was Sesame Street, it might be a good thing. You know, oh, continuity, you know, we, canon, yeah, right, cartoons, right. they all start with the letter C. Yeah, this episode <laughs> is definitely nominated for a Children's Television Emmy Award. <laughs> Let's just jump right back in. The gruesome kids. They didn't age in the teenagers, did they? Right, yeah, and so in the very last episode of the Pebbles and Bam Bam show, the Gruesomes show up, and little Gobby, who was, you know, he's still the same size in the Pebbles and Bam Bam episodes as he was in the original Flintstones episode, so I thought that was kind of weird. I think it would have been a little cool, if you're going to bring the Gruesomes back, make Gobby a teenager. Oh God, he'd be Uh, sitting there blasting Black Sabbath. Like, all of his T-shirts are two sizes too small. Right. I mean, he'd be a metal kid. He'd have to be a metal kid. Oh, right? yeah. Well. Well, not necessarily. He could be wearing, like, peppermint pinstripes, walking around, you know, with yeah. a flower in his hair. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it would have okay. been a, a definitely cool alternative um, view of the right. character. The other weird thing was uh, Creepella, the mom. Her hair was established as like red or auburn, depending on, <laughs> you know, what it looks like to the viewer. And in the new Pebbles and Bam Bam series, her hair was jet black. So she got and, to change. She got to yeah, do something different. Right. And I thought that was kind of interesting also. You know, making her hair jet black, it sort of reminded me of Cher, the singer, a little bit. Oh, wow. Hey, you know, I wonder. Cher would have been after the original Flintstones run, but before the Pebbles and Bam Bam show. Right. And if you consider the following year, Sonny and Cher show up as guest stars in the new Scooby-Doo movies. There it is. It was Cher bait is what it was. (laughs) Total Cher bait. Yeah. So the uh, whole continuity thing with Pebbles and Bam Bam continues. And so in the Pebbles and Bam Bam show premieres in 1971, but then in 1977. There's a Christmas uh, special. Right. And they're back to being kids again. Pebbles and Bam Bam are kids again. They're kids again, aren't they? (laughs) What are they doing? What are they doing with my heart? What are they doing with my head on this? Okay. And then in 1978... Pebbles' character is sort of a preteen, and she shows up in the Flintstone special, The Little Big League, and this version of her looks a little closer to her roots of how the teenage version of Pebbles was designed in uh. what, what we talked about in part one of Continuity, Contradiction, and so Canon. So she's a, she's a baby, right? Well, not in Little Big League. No, she's like a preteen. Okay, so a little bigly, she's a little preteen. Right. And she looks like the preteen of the Pebbles and Bam Bam hour. She uh, looks like the uh she looks like the preteen version of 
that first showed up in the Flintstones. Um, in, the, in, in that, in like Rip Van Flintstone and those right. episodes. And, and, and in... Oh my God. Groom Gloom, you know. Groom and Gloom, those, I'm done. In, in, in those episodes, yeah. Yeah, I'm done with the Flintstones, Mark. <laughs> I'm done with this. No, I, you know what? I am not, I'm not kidding. I thought this was going to be... How deep down the rabbit hole could, can the Flintstones really get? Oh my gosh, wow. and and I'm not done either. And so oh, in 1980s, oh, uh, <laughs> the Flintstone New Neighbors, where Pebbles is a baby once again, and then in 1993, she uh-huh. is a young adult along with Bam Bam and I Yabba Dabba Do, where Pebbles and Bam Bam get married, and the uh, the character design again is reminiscent of the original teenage character. From the two Flintstone earlier episodes, Groom, Gloom, and Rip Van Flintstone. And that design continues to be what grown young adult Pebbles Flintstone and Bam Bam, you know, look like. Even though I have to say there wasn't a lot of change with Bam Bam's character. You know, his, his, his character pretty much stayed consistent throughout all these specials. But, however, you know, uh, my partner, Ron Jones, uh, kind of came up with a good out, you know, in terms of all the back and forth. Now oh, that God, Ron, please. <laughs> Help me, Obi, Ron. <laughs> now they're teenagers. Out. Now they're babies again. Now they're kind of preteen. And so Ron said, it's simple. He says, maybe they were just flashback episodes. Yeah, there you go. During the you know late seventies and eighties, nobody was talking about continuity. If Hanna Barbera sold yeah. a Flintstone special to a network or was in syndication, it meant that they would create the special animators and voiceover talent, and everybody would be employed, continue to be employed at the Hanna Barbera Studios. It was a new project, and that was that. No one cared about continuity, especially on Saturday morning. And syndicated television, and to a right. certain extent, they really they still don't care, you know, because right. it's it's kids, you know the the main demographic is six to eleven, and you know when I was six years old, I didn't know crap about continuity, nor did I care about it. But I like Ron's theory because it does give Hanna Barbera an out in saying why they were able to go back and forth, and if you just say well. The new episodes that establishes Pebbles and Bam Bam as little kids and it's just basically flashback episodes. And to me, that makes so much sense. And you don't go continuity crazy thinking about it. So, so wait, so, okay, so wait, the flashbacks from when? So, like on, like on Wilma's deathbed, <laughs> where we're going through all of these, uh, Various different flashbacks. Wilma wasn't on but, but any not, deathbed. But, uh, well, I mean, hey, well, Mark, we'll all be on the deathbed one time. Yeah, I know. I mean, the Flintstones, man, they come from, uh, you know, they're from the Stone Age. They've all got to be dead by now. Oh, I mean, right. you know, that's the thing else about the Flintstones I don't think anybody's really talking about. Kind of like when you see Lassie in an old movie, mm-hmm. you know? So if, if you're saying that the majority of the Flintstones are, are flashbacks... What are they flashbacks from? Like, what is that prime Flintstone moment in time that all flash forwards, flashbacks, that all all flashes come from? What's where are our Flintstones then? All right. Well, I would say it would be the 1977 uh, Flintstones Christmas really? special. Yeah. Really? Okay. 
and well, speaking canonically, right? Because it's the first special. It's the first Flintstones special after the Pebbles and Bam Bam show and the Flintstones comedy hour. And later, I think the following season, the Flintstones comedy show where Pebbles and Bam Bam are babies again. And so that's why I feel like that would be the prime flashback Flintstones moment. And then if you also add in, there's no kazoo. So it's post kazoo. Okay. Yeah. Because Kazoo, you know, shows up, you know, around the last season of the Flintstones, right? right. And so he he's no longer around either. And so I feel like the the flashback Flintstone episodes post the Kazoo era actually starts in 1977 right. with the Flintstones Christmas special. If I had the time, I could probably take all of those specials and. This is connected to the Flintstones main universe. This is actually takes place before Pebbles and Bam Bam. This one actually takes place after Pebbles and Bam Bam. It'd be a big crazy person's map of just different cutout faces Mm -hmm. and locations and news articles all hung together with pins and string. Right. If if I had that much time, because it'll be a lot of time. (laughs) Because that's a lot of string. Right, right. (laughs) And then I would post it and someone would tell me I got it all wrong. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, after the FBI found out that you weren't doing anything too crazy, uh, the fans would then turn on you. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah. that's not the right continuity. <laughs> right. You forgot to mention X, Y, and Z. <laughs> you know, we've been avoiding it. Let's just dive in. Uh, all right, all right. So, the Flintstone Rock Kids. Flintstone Kids. Yeah. Okay, so the Flintstone Kids show up in 1986. It's a um, huge... ABC. Right, on the ABC network, the same network that originally launched the Flintstone series. And oh, okay. so, yeah. Looks so, like they were um, coming home. That's exactly what it was. And, you know, so the original Flintstone series established in episode 113 that Fred and Barney first met Wilma and Betty working at the Honey Rock Hotel. All right. So when this show came out, of course, my head exploded immediately because it contradicted (laughs) the fact that Fred and Barney met Wilma and Betty as adults, as young adults, and not, they didn't know each other as kids. Right. Now, the show, like I said, it did really great ratings. It It was a hit show. It had a lot of things going for it. You know, um, Hanna-Barbera, you know, we talked about this in an earlier podcast, how the QT era was like, you know, creating all these new... Full full, full court press. Right. Exactly. You know, if you like them as adults, you'll love them as kids. Right. So it had some good things going forward. One of the things that I loved that the show also established that Captain Caveman, who had showed up um, around 1976 and Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels, it established that Captain Caveman was part of the Flintstones kids continuity. Right. right. Which I thought was such a brilliant tie-in oh my God. to the whole Flintstones legacy. What tripped me out, when you think about Captain Caveman, we may have, I don't know if we've talked about this on another episode or if you and I have spoken about this privately, uh, but, um, you know, Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels took place more or less in modern day, right? In the right. 1970s. Whereas the Flintstone kids are 1 million BC, okay? So right. So one could think, you know, continuity-wise that we're this is a prequel to Captain Caveman. Oh, absolutely. 
Okay, yeah, 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 you're, you're with me on this. The tragedy we see is that in the prequel, Captain Caveman is a dad. He has a son, Captain Caveman Jr. And Captain Caveman's a pretty good dad, and he has a beautiful relationship with his child. His child, who isn't there when he's out hanging out with these teenagers in 1977, after he's unfrozen, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yes. Isn't that the original Captain Caveman? He's yes. unfrozen. And he hangs out with these three these three young women. Right, right. Well, then before he was unfrozen, what like where's his son? What happened? There, there, there's there is an element of tragedy to Captain Caveman. Is I think is what I'm saying. Yes, yes, there is. So um, I think we did talk about this before, and my theory about Captain Caveman, perhaps when Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels came out. So when, <laughs> not to get too complicated and convoluted. So when they decided to tie Captain Caveman and, you know, back to the Flintstones kids, which I said I thought it was a brilliant idea, perhaps the unfrozen Captain Caveman that shows up with the Teen Angels is his son, as opposed to Wait, what? it's Cavey Jr., you know, because Cavey Jr. was was having adventures with his father, Captain Caveman. And right, so right. you have to... If we're going to go a little deep here, you have to figure out that KV Jr., when he grew up, he became the new Captain Caveman, sure. taking over from his dad. Oh, so it's KV Jr. who is Captain Caveman in 1977. Right. So right. he and his father lived a long, beautiful life together. Captain Caveman eventually would have passed in his sleep, painless uh, from very yes. old age. And yes. then something thereafter caused the uh, KV. To be frozen and unfrozen as Captain Caveman. Right. 1977. Oh, yeah. that's, uh, well, that's beautiful. Right. And thanks for correcting yeah. me because I said Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels came out in 76. It was actually 77. Oh, I Oops. didn't mean to correct you. I, I misheard you. <laughs> it's fine. All right. So, so I, I thought that was like really cool. So, um, yeah, too. you know, I'll Captain Caveman and Son and they, you know, so it was like a show within a show which featured the Flintstone kids watching their favorite show, Captain Caveman and Son, which I thought was cool. You know, all the kids would gather around the one television set and watch Captain Caveman and Son, which I just thought was well, also would, a cool idea. Well, this throws all of Captain... Maybe all of Captain Caveman is satire. Maybe all of Captain Caveman is entertainment in that world. Yeah, maybe. But like maybe here's the, the thing. Jetsons, maybe the Jetsons version of Boomerang just shows a bunch of Captain Caveman uh, <laughs> reruns. Well, um, there is a Jetsons episode that... Now, you, you know, you joke about that, but there is the Jetsons episode that shows, and I think we talked about this before, that shows one of Elroy's friends watching the millionth rerun of a Flintstones episode on his smartwatch, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. okay. Yeah, but, well, that just, okay. But, but here's the other thing. Here's why I, I think that Captain Caveman and his son existed in real time, that it wasn't just entertainment because sure. the characters would often break the fourth wall, you know, talking to sure. the Flintstone kids. Right. And so right. that kind of oh, made me yeah. think yeah. that, well, yeah. they're all they're all in on the joke or right. like or right. something like that. So the Flintstone kids, you had mentioned, didn't you say you said that Ron had, had mentioned, someone had mentioned that the Flintstone kids 
lie outside of the prime Flintstones universe. Yes, and you so know, I... They're like the J.J. Abrams universe of the Flintstones. Yes, yes. Right? And so someone on Facebook posted, and I believe they posted it on a Hanna-Barbera Facebook fan page, you know, how the Flintstones Kids was a cool show and everyone right. loved it and did great ratings. When I brought up the fact that episode 113 that established that Fred and Barney met woman and, and Betty as adults kind of goes against the Flintstone Kids continuity. Right. And this person answered me back. He said, yes, I agree. But he said, I always felt that the Flintstone Kids were like in a separate universe or part of the Hanna-Barbera multiverse where they were, they just lived in a separate universe. Okay. All as right. opposed to the, they live in a separate universe that has a different historical timeline than the original Flintstones. Right. Because here's the other thing too. Little Dino also shows up in a Flintstone kids. And let's be for real. If, if Dino's supposed to be a dog, you know, there's no freaking way he would have been living <laughs> and around still as a and, dog. Well, yeah, but he was also a dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. True. So true. True. Okay. Like I take part dino. What I, I would say is I, I would thank our Facebook communities that are out there certainly doing this. Right, Mark? Right. I say that they're, they're, they're doing a lot of fun work. A lot of, a lot of, it certainly gives us a lot to talk about. Um, I would like to go that one guy further. I would like okay. to say that the Flintstone kids are fiction within the Prime Flintstones universe and that Fred finally made it, right? Fred uh-huh. finally told, uh, you know, Mr. Slade to, to kick rocks, so right. to speak. He finally made it. They sold their rights. In fact, God, that could be a made-for-TV movie right there. The day that Fred finally gets rich. And he gets rich not by one of his schemes, but by honestly just selling the story of his life. And then and the, the four of them, you know, the Rebels and Wilma and the kids and all that. They just sell their story. Mm-hmm. And that's what... Uh, the Flintstone kids are. That's how they make it. And the very first product to come out of that is the, is the Flintstone kids. And they're like, right. it's like, holy shit, Bonnie, this is fun. This is bananas. Oh, yeah, Fred. Uh, but hey, you know, look on the bright side. You know, 40 million each. <laughs> if you're going to go that route, here's another theory about the Flintstone kids. Okay. Is that every season of the Flintstone kids was a dream sequence that took place in Fred Flintstone's head. Oh, wow. Like and every episode? Yeah, every, every episode, episode, every season. Tr- of, of every season of Flintstone Kids is a dream, is a dream. happening in Fred's head. Right. Yeah. Even so, the Captain Caveman parts? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Right. And uh, uh, to kind of add to kind of add to that to that theory, think about the fact that the Flintstone Kids establishes uh, Philo Quartz as, you know, the first African-American character to ever right. show up on right. any Flintstone s- right. story. You know, the original Flintstones didn't, you know, have any 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 black people or people of color on the show, with the exception of. Uh, there is an African American kid that's that appears on the edge of the right side of the screen in the Flintstones Jamboree episode that sort of snuck in. If you blink, he's not even there anymore. And oh, wow. uh, this was, you know, like back in the day, animators would sneak in African American characters. 
You know, uh, right. Hanna-Barbera did it again in the Fantastic Four episode where uh, episode 14 is started on Yancey Street and it features an African-American Yan- Yan- Yancey Street gang member. He right. could be African-American or he could be Hispanic. It's kind of hard to tell. And and also there's a Spider-Man episode where uh, two pa- uh, two workers two, two who um, drivers, two paramedics, first responders. uh yeah, show yeah. up to take away the villain, you know, who was giving Spider-Man all kind of hell, show up as well. And so this was like a, a common practice that animators who wanted more of a multicultural world would just sneak in a person of color. And so, but it kind of ties into my theory that the fact that there are really no black people on the Flintstones, the original Flintstones, and now Fred is having this dream where this African-American kid is front and center in the Flintstone kids. Right. And so it also ties into the whole dream fantasy. Oh, hey, and there thing, it is. That this takes okay. place in Fred's head, you know. Right. And I figure if Bobby Ewing, Bobby Ewing from Dallas right. can have, well, actually, it wasn't Bobby Ewing. It was um, actually um, the uh, the actor that played his wife. If she could have an entire dream sequence of a whole season that took place over a period of three weeks, why couldn't Fred Flintstone have a whole sequence of adventures of himself and Wilma and Betty um, and Barney as kids? You know, I mean, I have dreams of myself when I was a kid that, of course, has nothing to do with continuity at all. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang with the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. So, Dan, I recently watched the new 3D or digital version of the movie Scoob. I was supposed to rent it and I didn't. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, yeah, it was called Scoob. Just called As, Scoob? Yeah, it was just okay. called Scoob. I loved it. It was like a real love letter to William Hanna and Joseph Barbera. Right. Uh, Iwo Takamato, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. All the people that really helped put the Scooby-Doo show together. Mm-hmm. There were Easter eggs all over the place. And right. um, it was it was just a really good movie. Let me ask you this. It, just, just in terms of the continuity contradiction in canon. But how did it do with canon? How did it do with the established Scooby lore? Well, I think this movie really tied up all the Scooby-Doo canon continuity loose ends. Really? Like they took... Scooby-Doo, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, a pup named Scooby-Doo. Does the Scooby-Doo ever versus the Globetrotters? Well, no, the Scooby-Doo is <laughs> totally hung out with Phil, Phil Stiller. Yeah, yeah. How, how does how does this new movie thread, thread that loop? Okay, I will explain. And so, the first thing that it does, of course, it establishes how Shaggy and a pup named Scooby-Doo meet for the first time. And, okay. and Scooby is a little puppy. I mean, he seems to be smaller than he is on a pup named Scooby-Doo. Okay. All right. So this establishes that they they meet 
and they've they've known each other all of their lives. The meeting between Scoob and Shaggy is reinforced by the fact that there is a episode of the new Scooby-Doo movies titled The Loch Ness Mess, uh-huh. where Scooby and Shaggy are looking through a family portrait, and Shaggy says, I bet that there's a picture of, of you in here, Scooby. And sure enough, there's a picture of Scooby wearing diapers, and he's a pup. And this is the first time that you actually see Scooby-Doo as a puppy before a pup named Scooby-Doo is created. Really? Yeah. And so it helps tie in the continuity, the Scoob movie, as well as the new Scooby-Doo movies, that Shaggy and Scoob knew each other. Then there's a later scene in the Scoob movie where Shaggy and Scooby meet Fred, Velma, and Daphne while they were trick-or-treating. And Shaggy and Scoob are dressed like the Blue Falcon in Dino Mutt. Oh, wow. And there is an episode, a Halloween episode. Definitely Blue Falcon fan right here. Definitely Blue Falcon fan. Oh, yeah. I love the Blue Falcon. Love love and And Dino Mutt as well. Gotta love Dino Well, I have feelings about Dino Mutt that are pretty Well, But that's a whole other podcast. Right, right, right. Well, anyway, so they're dressed as their favorite superheroes, the Blue Falcon and Dynamut, and there is a Pup Named Scooby-Doo episode that they address that way as well. And then the film kind of fast-forwards to the kids now. They're no longer little kids, and now they're teenagers. And not to give much away, but the movie pays homage to the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You show that premiered in the fall of 1969. And they tie everything together by establishing that a pup named Scooby, the new Scooby-Doo movies, and Scooby-Doo Where Are You are in the same universe. So that's how the movie kind of ties all the Scooby-Doo loose ends. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, what was the name of the movie again? It's called Scoob. And where can it be rented, downloaded, streamed? Everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. Yeah, just just type in Scoob. And in two weeks, you can look forward to the premiere of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, episode 14, Scooby-Doo versus the Flintstones. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would love to see that. You have 30 seconds to describe Thunder Talk. It's pop culture. With a twist. It's music. LBGTQ+. And comedy. Well, dark comedy. It's nerd junk. It's comic books. Video games. Conventions. Yeah, nerd junk. And social commentary. It's woke, yo. Yeah, and nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. Thunder Talk is all over the place. Every place you want to be. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and download us on all podcast platforms. Well, that's it, everyone. I'm going to go have an aspirin and a double scotch to try to bend my head around this Flintstones continuity. I'm going to do a couple of tequila shots just to, you know, clear my head because it was a lot. It was a lot. It's all a dream, man. It's all all, all JR. Right, it's all a dream, because we all know that when we have a dream, 
a dream will mess around with established continuity and a dream will make you think that it's reality what if this whole podcast is a dream mark what if this is all <laughs> episodes from rip fan mccray yeah maybe maybe it is all a dream um so it's my younger self dreaming about having a podcast show even though podcasts in the late 80s early 90s haven't been invented yet <laughs> yeah and, I, and i'm a total manifestation right i wonder right. what part of your what ugly part of your brain i crawled out of like what <laughs> what, what are you trying to work on in your waking life that i represent I don't know. I don't know, man. That's like a that's a deeper psychological question that we just don't have time to answer right now. So, yeah, but tune in, <laughs> tune in next time on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, where you uh, you may or may not find the answers to what you're looking for. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off.